New Testament, Romans 6 and 23 says that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And today, when we really grasp that we bear the responsibility and the consequences for our own actions, it needs to drive home to us just how powerful choice is, just how powerful this thing we have called a free will really is that God has given us. The crossroads in my Sunday school song were a place of choice. It's a location where our responses and our reactions will be demonstrated. They'll be acted out. And Moses wrote in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, and if you know much of the Old Testament, you know that this was part of Moses' closing remarks as he finished his time or his time as the leader of Israel was drawing to a close. And he said this, he said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both both thou and thy seed may live. And as Moses' leadership came to a close, Joshua stepped up into that role and became the leader of Israel. And when Joshua's time was wrapping up, when his time of leadership was finishing, he made a very similar or at least a parallel statement in Joshua 24 and 15 where he said, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your father served that were on the other side of the flood the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He said, but this is my choice. He said, as for me and my house, he said, we will serve the Lord. The challenge from both Moses and Joshua was Israel, make your choice. Which way are you going to go? Which way are you going to live? Who are you going to listen to? In our decisions, when we really think about it, our choices the, the actions, the choices that we, we do, that we choose to do, very rarely ever take place in a vacuum. They almost never happen without being influenced by both internal and external factors. There are things that affect the way that we do what we do, and this is not an exhaustive list, but some of the things that affect our decisions are our experiences, things that we've been through, good and bad included. Our knowledge and our understanding. There's decisions we often make in our youth that we lack both knowledge and understanding. And when we look back, we would review our actions, but we didn't have the knowledge and the understanding and definitely not the wisdom at that time. Our emotions are a huge factor, a huge influencing factor in the choices that we make. The motivation or the why we make the choice. These are all things that just a few of the factors that impact our choices and our decisions And so what it actually shows us is that much of what we do and say is not necessarily an action, but rather it's a reaction. It's a response to something that is affected by what's going on in us and around us and our perception. And according to the Oxford Dictionary, a reaction, like most words, there's a variety of meanings, but in the context of what we're considering, we're not dealing with chemistry today, in the context of what we're considering, a reaction is something that is done, something that is felt or thought in response to a situation or an event. And just like the social media emoji reactions in my slides this morning, 
there are a variety of reactions that we can choose from in any given situation in this life. And just like on social media, we can get our reactions wrong. Last year when churches were scrambling to live stream because of lockdowns and many of us were learning very quickly how to use platforms such as Facebook Live and I would stand up here behind this pulpit in a basically empty church with three or four people and a camera and, and, and do my best to preach as if you were here. And one of, the, one of the things about live stream services on those platforms is that when people are watching them at home, because they want to participate, they want to be involved in that service, they want to support, they want to try to let people know, hey, I'm here, just in case someone's checking up. You know, they, they click or they tap on a reaction. And you see all these smiley faces and love hearts coming up the comments in the live feed. And every once in a while, the, the really skillful people use other ones that people don't know about. their hand claps and hand raises. And, and every once in a while, someone in their enthusiasm would accidentally click or tap on the wrong emoji. And in that live feed, the angry face shows up in the middle of the live stream. And nervous pastors find themselves asking saints what made them so angry during the service, usually to find out that it was a mistake and the person was embarrassed and the pastor was relieved because there's all these clapping and happy emojis and there's this red ball of anger coming up in that live stream. And, and you know, you see, long, long before there were ever social media emojis, people were choosing the wrong reactions to situations. And if we're honest, we still do that sometimes today. And so with the help of the Lord for the next two Sunday mornings, we're going to consider some of the things that we react to as the children of God and how we should consider those reactions moving forward. The first thing I want us to consider our reactions to, because I believe it's the best place to start, is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Because our reactions to the Scriptures flow into our reactions everything else as Christians. How we respond to the Word of God then ripples on to every other situation that we live in. His Word is really everything. It's what everything comes back to. It will either be the guide of our reactions or it will be the judge of them. It will either be what directs us or it will be what measures us if we choose to ignore it. Now, we understand this morning that God's Word comes to us via two main avenues. It comes through our personal reading and our study, but then also listening to someone else preach or teach, whether that's in a service, whether that's in a Bible study, whatever context that is in. These are the two main avenues that the Word of God comes to us. I know God speaks to us in other ways, in prayer and in other fashion as well. But when we're talking about the Word of God, these are the two main channels. And in 2 Timothy Chapter 3, I, you may or may not have picked up over the years, but I particularly find a lot of benefit in First and Second Timothy because Paul was wanting to really impart important things in his, his last days. And, and in Second Timothy 3, and starting at verse 14, Paul said, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then a verse that if you've never memorized, I would encourage you to do so. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, 
for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, truly furnished or equipped to all good works. Now, if you read the preceding verses of this chapter, it's filled with warnings of what the church will face in the future, much of which we see in our world today. It talks about perilous times. It talks about many of the, the conditions of men's hearts as time would progress further. And Paul writes to Timothy, reminding him of what not only has he taught him, but what he has demonstrated to him. He says to Timothy, you have seen my manner of life. You've seen, you've heard my doctrine. You've seen the way that I've behaved. He reminds Timothy, and then he tells Timothy, he says that evil men will only get worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then he says something that... uh, is really important and probably more important today than it was then if I can say that because of the saturation of information that we have he says stick to the truth that you know and know who is teaching you that's what he says he says continue in the things you've learned and you've been assured of and know of whom you've learned them from that's why from time to time I remind you there's nothing wrong with listening to podcasts and preaching on YouTube but know who it is that's feeding your soul know who it is that you're allowing to minister to you because it matter if it mattered in timothy's day when he had no youtube and no facebook and none of that then how much more does it matter today when we are saturated with voices know what you've learned know who's taught you what you've learned is very very important amen he said timothy you were raised according to the scriptures and then verse 16 he said all scripture the whole lot is given by the inspiration of god literally breathed by god and that this word that we are given serves four main purposes in our lives the first one is doctrine doctrine is something that can be uh, unpopular it can be unpalatable to some people which is insane really because doctrine is where we learn about God, where we learn who He is, what He wants, how He sees us, and everything else comes via doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. It is the fundamentals of what we believe. It is the, the, the slab. It is the framework of the house that we serve God in, in our lives. So we need doctrine. We need reproof. Reproof is conviction and even rebuke or a sharp challenge. Correction straightens us up, calibrates us, gets us back on track. You you take that car in for a service, there's things that are out of whack and you pay probably too much money because you haven't got a clue how to fix it if you're like me. And they, they, they get things, they correct things. Because if they are left uncorrected, they will develop into bigger problems further down the road. That's why we need the Word of God to correct us. And we are given the Scripture for instruction, for training, for education. These are the four pillars of why we have the Word of God. Now, that's not exhaustive because I would very quickly acknowledge that although I could probably find them under those four, we won't go through that process today. There are also times when the Word of God encourages us, when it comforts us, when it builds up our faith, and we need those times. Amen. And we like those times. <laughs> we love to come to church and go home feeling uplifted 
and encouraged and like we can, you know, if you'll pardon the expression, storm the gates of hell with a water pistol. You know, we just, we like those services, amen? We like it when it's like that. But what about when it pierces our hearts and exposes sin? When the Word of God confronts our carnality like a slap in the face, when it tears at the religious traditions that we've held on to possibly for generations, when it demands that we change or perish, what will our reactions be then? The way we react to the Word of God is life and death. And it's not just in this life, it's eternal life and death way back as far as genesis chapter 4 the first man ever born of a woman named cain brought an unacceptable sacrifice to god and both he and his sacrifice were rejected by god and if you know the story you know that cain began to sulk he began to have a pity party you know self-pity is one of the most unpleasant things he began to feel so sorry for himself especially because his younger brother had received the approval of God. And God spoke to Cain. That's what the Bible says, that God spoke to him. That's the Word of God. He spoke to him and he challenged him to stop feeling sorry for himself. The King James doesn't really, it it, it makes it a little bit softer, but God says, why is your lip dragging on the ground? The King James says, why has your countenance fallen? He's like, stop sucking your thumb. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. He said, you know what the right thing to do is. So why don't you simply do the right thing? But instead, rejection of God's word turned to jealousy. Jealousy turned to rage and hatred. And that turned to murder. The reaction to the word of God. The reaction to the word of God. We get to the New Testament, and we find in several of the Gospels the account of a Gentile woman. One account calls her a woman of Cain, another calls her a Syrophoenician woman. She's a non-Jew. She's not in the covenant people at that time. She comes to Jesus begging him to deliver her demon-possessed daughter. One account says that she worshipped him. And he he didn't even want to talk to her. And I'm not going to get into all of why that was at that time. That's a lesson for another time. But she appealed to him that he would deliver her daughter from this evil spirit. And the scripture records that he dismisses her harshly, declaring that it is not appropriate to give the children's bread to dogs. Now, if you came in here, said to me, Pastor, I need a hand. And I said, sorry, we only give help to the people in the church, not the dogs. How long do you think it would take for them to hit the door and then hit social media? But this woman, this woman was willing to humble herself. She didn't argue. She didn't say, how dare you speak to me like that? I'm offended. Her words must have stung her as if he'd struck her physically. But she humbled herself and she said, truth, Lord. She said, you're right. She said, but even the dogs will eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And the Lord was moved by her faith 
by her hunger. And he, as it was, if I can say this, stepped out of the timeline a little bit and ministered to a Gentile woman before it was the time of the Gentiles because of her reaction to him. We all know, many of us at least know the story of the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, Jesus begins to list the commandments and he says, I've done all those things since I was just a child. What do I lack? And you've heard it said, be careful when you ask Jesus that question. If you're going to come to the Lord and say, what do I lack? Be ready for an answer. Because when he answers, that's the word of God. And the scripture says that Jesus looked into his heart knew that possessions and monetary wealth had a crushing grip on his heart. And he said, sell what you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. The young man went away brokenhearted because he did not believe that he could let that go. He was wrong because Jesus would never ask you to do something you can't do. But he was convinced that he was unable to do that, and so he went away. And his reaction to the Word of God meant that the story of his life... You see, when you look at the Gospels, there weren't a lot of people that Jesus said, come follow me too. There was a couple of times in a general sense, but one-on-one was a very special thing. And I'm only speculating, but this young man's life may have gone on to be recorded in the Scripture. He may have even found himself numbered amongst the disciples, even an apostle. But his reaction meant that that part of his life never came to pass. Our reactions to the Word of God are powerful. A thief crucified either side of Jesus on Calvary's hill. One abusive and angry, the other reaching out for hope. Two polar reactions to God manifest in the flesh. One just angry and and hurt and just full of bitterness and the other one recognizing that this may be the only chance he has to reach out to his savior we're teaching about our reactions today amen in acts chapter 17 and we're not going to turn to all these verses for the sake of time but the apostle paul is traveling and and doing his best to spread the gospel and start works in, in all these different places and he gets to a place called thessalonica and they don't respond too well to him there and they run him out of town and he comes to a place called berea and As was Paul's practice, every time he went somewhere, he went to the Jews first. He found the synagogues. He he went to his brethren after the flesh first because his heart was for his people. And on this occasion, when he went to the synagogue in Berea, the Scripture says that those that were there were willing to study the Scripture. They were willing to consider what Paul preached to see if it was true. Because he came with a message that challenged their traditions. We need to understand how powerful tradition is. If you don't think you've got religious traditions, you may need to revisit that question. We've all got them. And they're not necessarily good or bad of themselves. But when they come up against the Word of God, your reaction is very important. And these Jews, when they were challenged, their reaction was to take time to look at what he had to say. And the scripture says that many of them believed. Many of them believed. How do we react to the word of God today? When God's word is preached, when it comes and it, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to react when it's like God loves you. He thinks you're awesome. You're his kid. You're going to have a great life. That's easy to react to. 
But when the Word of God, like that sharper than any two-edged sword, just reaches right down into the thought and the intent of our heart and it hurts, what do we do with that? Is it his desire to be sadistic and cause us pain? No, if, he's, if his word is reaching, it's surgical. He's operating. He's wanting to address things that could not only make you ill, but could even be fatal spiritually. That's what he's doing. Amen. We have to be careful how we react to the word of God. We, we live in an age, one of the sadly identifying characteristics of this age is that people are afraid to have a difference of opinion they're afraid to say something that feelings must never be hurt and we must certainly not tell someone that their view or their actions are wrong should never ever do that that's the way the world thinks now and i want to say clearly that upsetting people should never be the motivation for anything that we do if, if you enjoy upsetting people you need to pray through that that should never be our motive but if doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction are cornerstones of why we have the Word of God, then we need to let it speak. We need to let it speak. If it cuts, we must allow it. If it confronts, we must accept it. And if it exposes, we must repent. We cannot, we heard from the gifts of the Spirit this morning, we cannot afford to be hearers only we must also be doers we cannot be that person that james talked to us about that looks into the mirror of the word of god and forgets what manner of man he was and goes his way unchanged we must see hear, and react with a course of behavior that brings or allows the change that god's word wants to bring in our lives amen when we consider the parable of the sower and the seed all of those kinds of soil are reactions to the Word of God. It's the same seed. It's good seed. It's God-breathed seed that is sown into the soil. But the reactions, we're talking about our reactions today. Amen. It's so important that we consider how we react to the Word of God. You know, we, we've got to be careful that this please don't offend anybody culture doesn't permeate the church. You know, I, I remember a time, Brother Paul, you and I have been around, you've been around longer than me, Brother Paul, you win that trophy. But, but I don't remember too many preachers being afraid to hurt our feelings growing up, Brother Paul. <laughs> we've got to be careful that we're, we're, we're not afraid to preach the truth of God's Word. It's got to be ministered in love. But sometimes love hurts. <laughs> sometimes the truth hurts. The next thing I want us to consider how we react to is temptation. Temptation. Recently, Sister Jolena ministered to us about how it's what comes out of us that defiles us. Not, not what's, what's around us, but what comes out of us. <clears throat> this is what the Scripture teaches in James chapter 1. Starting in verse 14, it says, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. Somebody say, own lust. So that's mine. <laughs> We've all got it. Amen. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, brings forth sin, and sin when it's finished brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Resident within us is a sinful nature. 
that is naturally drawn towards wickedness. Its default setting is to do the things that appeal to the pleasure of ourselves, things that appeal to our corrupt nature. To be enticed is to be caught in a trap, is to take the bait. And when that happens, when we allow that to happen, because really that's what's going on, we're allowing that to happen. When we allow that to happen, sin is birthed in our lives. That's what it says, sin is conceived And when that sin is allowed to go unrestrained and unrepented of, it ends in death. And James urges his beloved brethren out of his care for their souls not to err. That's not a word we use every day, but when it says do not err, it means don't wander. Don't be deceived. Don't be seduced. Because when it comes to the children of God, temptation is subtle. It's insidious. That means it's, it's sly. It's, it's sneaky. It gets in through a crack in the door, as it were, with devastating consequences. We go right back to the Garden of Eden. It began with a careful questioning of what God had really said. It began with a subtle challenging of God's motives. It, didn't, it tried to blur the lines. You see, before, before that conversation in the garden, it was black and white. God said, don't, we don't. God said, do, we do. But then the, the tempter came and in that subtle approach began to blur the lines, began to make it look not so black and white and began to play down the consequences. You won't really die. It won't really be that bad. And like the fool of the book of Proverbs, humanity walked into a trap that cost them everything. You see, when we, we give in to temptation and sometimes we justify our actions. Anybody ever been guilty of justifying their actions? Got some honest people here today. If you haven't got your hand up, you're either deceived or you don't know what that means. One or the other. Amen. But we, we justify our actions and we, we think, well, it's not that bad not hurting anybody i wish i'd had a dollar for every time somebody told me it wasn't hurting anybody but you see in the book of joshua when the israelites were miraculously given victory over the city of jericho there were very clear instructions not to take any spoil from the battle but one man named achan took some silver took some gold took some fancy clothes you know when you travel overseas you, you buy with some fancy clothes because they're different to what you have at home he hid them in his tent it's not a big deal not going to hurt anybody. Got up the next morning. Everything was as it seemed to be normal. But his disobedience meant that in the next battle, 36 men lost their lives. 36 families lost their husbands and their fathers. And Achan was executed. One of the enemy's tactics is to cause us to believe that because we've done something wrong, we've given into temptation and nothing has happened that we've got away with it. It's like, whew, got away with that one. And we are sadly, tragically, when, when judgment is delayed by mercy, we tragically think that everything's okay. When all it is is a window of grace and mercy at the hand of God reaching for us that we would repent and make it right. And from this false perception of reality that we have allowed ourselves to become deceived into, we roll the dice again with our souls. Nothing happened the last time. 
Maybe it's not such a bad thing. Our reactions, we're talking about our reactions this morning. Our reactions to temptation have eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. So what should our reaction to temptation be? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Flee. If I ask somebody to give me a demonstration of fleeing this morning, what do we think that would look like? Casual stroll? little walk along, little promenade along the portico? No, fleeing means that you run. It means that you get out of there as fast. If, if I'm fleeing, it suggests there's something that I'm a little afraid of that I want to get away from. Flee youthful lusts. Too many of us read that and interpret that as walk at a safe distance beside youthful lusts. But that's not what it says. It says to flee. That means that when there is temptation, you run as fast as you can. You put as much daylight as you can between you and whatever that thing is. You get out of there as quick as you can because you are not smart enough. You are not strong enough. You are not capable of resisting it in your own strength. Wherever possible, you flee. Galatians 5 and 16, this I say then. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. That means that daily I'm presenting myself to Him. Daily I'm offering myself a living sacrifice. Daily I'm allowing His Word and His Spirit to move on me, to renew me, to affect me. preacher I used to listen to a long time ago preached a message called The Danger of a Brief Walk in the Spirit. I was you just pass through every once in a while. We are to walk in the Spirit, not visit it occasionally. If Sunday mornings when you check in with the Spirit and that's it once a week, you're in peril the other six days. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Ephesians 4 and 27, neither give place to the devil. Do not invite him to sit down with you. Do not open the door of your life, of your home, of your family to anything that he is selling. Do not give him any opportunity. This is how we react to temptation. We shut the door. We nail it shut if necessary. If we're finding ourselves under pressure, we flee. We walk in the Spirit. Amen. If you're tempted, if you give in to temptation, repent quickly. Restore when appropriate and separate yourself from whatever it is. If you know you've yielded, address it with urgency. Make it right as soon as you can, as soon as you know. Repent quickly. If you've got to make something right, that's the next thing on the list. The third thing is, whatever it was, get some daylight between you and it. Amen. Because there's this, 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, There has no temptation taken you but such as is common to man everybody gets tempted but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it so temptation is an issue 
for everybody. Your case is not special. Your situation is not easier or harder than someone else's. God has your back. He knows what you can take. And if it's reaching a tipping point where you cannot take it, He will provide an escape. But understand this, this verse is both a great promise and a sober warning. Because the promise is that He'll make a way out. The warning is, you haven't got an excuse. The promise is, I won't let you go through something you can't handle. If it's getting too tough, there's a parachute. I'll make a way for you to get out. But the flip side of that is that because of that promise, we can't say, well, it was too hard, Lord. I I just couldn't handle it. Amen. Do not make excuses. Own your flesh and kill it. (laughs) Own it and kill it. Amen. That's the challenge for all of us. This carcass very much included. Amen. Reactions to temptation are directly connected to spiritual survival. Amen. And the last thing we're going to deal with today, try not to be too much longer, is the subject of offenses. There are some things in life that we will all experience at different times and we will definitely react to. The feelings that are produced in us when we are offended are very, very real. Hurt, anger, resentment, bitterness, disappointment, just to name a few. Now, as children of God, we should always be striving to not offend. But we should also be striving just as hard to not be offended. Both sides of that relationship. It is sobering to consider that in the parable of the sower and the seed, the stony ground is described as being quickly, in one gospel, even immediately offended. Gives us some insight into the connection between our relationship with the Word of God and how easily we are or are not offended. Stony ground, there's no deep roots there. There's a bit of life, but there's hard ground. That's why we've got to break up that fallow ground. Our relationship with the Word of God is directly connected to how easily we are or are not offended. Acts chapter 24 and verse 16 says, And herein do I exercise myself. It takes practice to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And the Word of God teaches us repeatedly, probably more than we like, that our receiving forgiveness from Jesus cannot be separated from our extending forgiveness to others. Nobody likes to be offended. And we need to understand that God holds offenders accountable for their actions. But He also holds the offended accountable for their reactions. I'm going to say that again. God holds those that offend accountable for their actions, but he also holds the offended accountable for their reactions. Amen. Now, that's, that's not compatible with the present-day philosophy. Being offended seems to be one of the most popular things you can do in 2021. It's like, you know, in your social media bio, it likes to be offended, you know. It's just everybody's offended or outraged about something. Matthew chapter 28 
And uh, these, this passage is on the, script, on the, the slides, but I'm, I may just paraphrase it a little bit. It's 18, Matthew 18, sorry, verses 23 through 35. Kingdom of heavens, like a certain king, was taking account of his servants, looking at what he was owed. And there was one that was brought in before him that owed him 10,000 talents, millions and millions of dollars in today's value. And he said, you know, you need to pay me back. And he was going to throw him into prison. But the servant fell down and, and begged for mercy. He begged for mercy, asked for time and, and to be able to pay it back, which was absurd because it was unpayable. But then the Lord was moved with compassion, loosed him and forgave his debt. He goes out having been just forgiven of an, an incredible debt, an unpayable debt. I don't know how in that day and age he got into millions of dollars worth of debt. They didn't have credit cards. But somehow he's found himself up to the eyeballs and beyond in an unpayable debt and is released from that debt. The joy, the the load that was lifted from his shoulders. I mean, if you've been in financial difficulty, you know the pressure that that can bring. But that was just taken away in a moment, almost as he's walking out of the the place where he's had this meeting with the ruler, he comes across a fellow servant who owes him a hundred pence, grabs him by the throat and says, pay me back what you owe me. And it's it's almost like a, a copy and paste of the conversation because he says, be merciful. Give me some time and, and I'll pay it back. And he has no mercy and has him thrown into prison. And word gets back to the ruler. You know the story. The man is called back in. He says, I forgave you an incredible debt that you were never going to be able to repay. Why have you not extended that same grace and mercy? And he reinstitutes the debt. He says, that debt I just erased, it's back on your tab. And you will go to prison until you've paid every last penny. The comparison that we are supposed to notice in this story is the difference between the amounts owed. Because other than that, the two interactions are almost identical. One person owing a debt they could not pay, begging for mercy and patience. His fellow servant owing a debt that he probably could pay. It was still, 100 pence was not pocket change. It was still a significant amount of money. But it wasn't thousands and thousands of talents. It was payable. But the message that is being communicated to us is the blindness of the first man to his reactions to his fellow servant after receiving such incredible forgiveness. His blindness to his brother is breathtaking. And the offense, when you've been offended, the offense that you have experienced is real. It's real. They're not made up feelings. It's real. The cost of it to you personally is real. But it's measurable. It's measurable. The offense of my sins against Jesus cannot be measured by me. I am not able to quantify the level of my offense against him. Only he knows the size, the true size of my debt and how repulsive and painful my sin was to him. But his reaction is to wash me whiter than snow. My immeasurable debt that he forgave in comparison 
to my measurable offense at the hands of my brother or sister are not worth comparing with each other. You see, one of the reasons that offense is so dangerous, it is so dangerous, is that it opens the door to all other temptation. Unresolved offense opens the door to every other temptation, to false doctrine, to all manner of things, to compromise, to carnality, because you cannot walk in righteousness and holiness and in the spirit while you harbor offense in your heart. Because hurt, what happens is when you leave that door open, when offense leaves that door open to everything else, you will begin to justify what you do. Well, if they hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. If it wasn't for their actions, I wouldn't be in this situation. If they hadn't have hurt my feelings, I wouldn't have left the church. I wouldn't have cheated on my wife. I wouldn't have gone on, on and on and on. Unresolved offense is like somebody has torn the door off your spiritual house and left it open for everybody who wants to come in to come in. Amen. I'm not suggesting it's easy to deal with. I'm not of that school that thinks if you've been hurt badly, you just say, thank you, Jesus, heal me, and everything's fine. Sometimes it's a process. But it's a process you must invest in. It's a process you must begin to involve yourself in. It's not always simple. Some offenses are severe. But you cannot leave them unresolved. When we react to offense the way God wants us to react to offense. We need to view that offense through the lens of our salvation. I'm the 10,000 talent sinner. Anybody that's hurt my feelings is just a hundred pence brother. We need to see it that way. We need to choose forgiveness over bitterness. We need to value the liberty that we have more than the chains that offense brings. Amen. Stand with me if you would this morning. We're going to continue this next Sunday. But in conclusion this morning, how we react to the Word of God affects all other reactions. The impact that the Word of God has in our hearts and minds changes the way that we think, the way that we see, the way that we understand everything else. And our reactions have eternal consequences. Let's pray.